for the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today on Not Sam Wrestling, it's Stu Bennett, formerly known as Wade Barrett. In a rare interview, he's going to talk about why he left WWE and what he's doing now. We're going to break down that top 10 faction list that WWE put out. We're going to talk about Renee in the commentary booth. We're going to talk about Hulk Hogan and his NWO comments and a lot more. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York... Here is Sam Roberts. Hey guys, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the show, welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. I really, this podcast I believe is the ultimate fan experience in podcasting. Wrestling fan experience, I guess. If you're like a video game fan there's there's better podcasting experiences for you than this one although i am going to tell you i've been very busy in the last like week adding creative players to uh fire pro wrestling world i got it on playstation whoops that was abrupt uh well goodbye to the music i got it on (laughs) playstation 4 i downloaded fire pro wrestling world and you know i used to you know back in the day in my geek days now I'm super cool. But in my geek days, I was, uh, I was a big video game, wrestling video game guy. I was never a big video game guy. I wasn't a gamer. But I was a big video game guy. And I was also a tape trader in high school. So I was big into, like, Japanese wrestling. But not, like, like all Japan wrestling. Like, Japanese deathmatch wrestling. Garbage Japan wrestling. That's what I was into. Mr. Pogo and Onita and Tarzan Goto and Wing and all, all that stuff. You know, I got turned on by it by Mick Foley, and I never looked back. I had all the tapes. I had everything. But Fire Pro Wrestling G was the game that I had for Sony PlayStation. And I had one of those mod chips that was plugged into the back. I didn't open up the PlayStation, but I plugged it into the back, and then you had to put the disc in and spin it and then switch the discs while the PlayStation was still on, and then it would read it because Fire Pro Wrestling G was a Japanese game. And, you know, it was all in Japanese, there were all the text and everything. There was no translate, but you could go on a website and you could find out what everything was trying to say. And you could find like bootleg versions of, of all the guys that you liked of like Vader and, and, and Onita and all those guys, but they had death matches. They had barbed wire matches and explosion matches. And the animation style was great. It was like uh, uh, almost like uh, uh 16 bit style animation but with barbed wire and explosion death matches and cage matches and stuff like that. Tons of characters before video games were really, wrestling games were really doing that. And, um, like I said, all the bootleg characters and the gameplay was was super cool. The gameplay ended up being super fun because it wasn't like any other wrestling video game. So they put out Fire Pro Wrestling World just recently for PlayStation 4, and they put all the New Japan guys in it, but not bootleg. Like, New Japan actually signed the deal, and Kenny Omega and Naito and, and everybody's in it. All the New Japan guys, not the Ring of Honor guys, so the Bucks and Cody and those guys are not in it. But all the New Japan guys are in it, Okada and Tanahashi and Takahashi and all those guys. 
So, but what made Fire Pro Wrestling G, the Fire Pro Wrestling series, so cool was all the creative players you could do. And that's what I've been doing on Fire Pro Wrestling World. The PlayStation 4 community is very big, and there's I feel like there's new creative stuff happening all the time. But you go onto a website, and you download the characters and stuff, and then it uploads into your game because you sign in with the PSN name. So I've been downloading, like, all the old Japanese guys. I've been downloading all, like, I have an ECW roster in the game. I have all the old and some of the new WWE guys and and the WWE rings and stuff like it's 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 amazing to be able to have like a 1995 era WWE ring like a superstars era WWE ring that then you can put barbed wire ropes on and have Devon Dudley versus Mr. Pogo in a exploding barbed wire death match it, I just I just really enjoy it so I've been enjoying that a lot uh in the past uh a week or so I, I wish I had a little bit more time, but I'll tell you what I'm doing this week. Uh, right after this pod, as this podcast is out, uh, I'm in Orlando. Uh, I'm going to be spending the day at the Performance Center for a thing that I'll tell you about next week. Uh, but I only tell you that to say that it is the perfect opportunity to take some bonus videos that I'll be able to put up on the Patreon page. Uh, again, I talk about you guys uh, in the chat, in the, in the what's it called? In the uh, Discord in the Discord room that I have on my phone that I, you know, peek in from time to time. Uh, but you guys on the on the the Not Sam Shills, on the Not Sam Wrestling Patreon page, really make me happy. There's a whole community happening. If you want to uh, sign up to be a Not Sam Shill, of course, the website is patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. We have everything from bonus episodes to uh, bonus videos, to state of wrestling on video, to getting the interviews on the show the day of, to exclusive merchandise like the Not Sam jacket that I was wearing at Summer Sam this year. Whole bunch of stuff at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. And new stuff being put all the time. In fact, I've decided that starting this week, I'm not only going to be doing new episodes of Captive Audience where I make my wife, Jess, or somebody else who normally wouldn't be watching wrestling watch some old wrestling with me and you can watch along with us on the WWE network but I'm going to upload all of the old episodes too. So I'm going to I'm going to if you if you missed any of them or if you just want them in your collection, I'm going to upload all the old episodes to the Patreon page for anybody on any level of uh not Sam Shell, you're all going to have access to them and that's going to be in addition to everything that's listed in the tiers that are available uh at patreon.com/notsamwrestling. Just something that I want you to enjoy. So this week I have for you an interview with Wade Barrett, who is now known by his real name, Stu Bennett. Of course, he's on the Ultimate Beastmaster show on Netflix. Uh, he does World of Sport, and he just had a movie come out that's available on demand. It's available on iTunes. It's available in all those spots. But Wade Barrett is a really interesting guy, especially Wade Barrett is young. Wade Barrett is still in amazing shape, and he's popular. He could be wrestling wherever he wants right now, and he walked away from WWE. He could still be in WWE, I believe, right now, but he decided to walk away from WWE and hasn't competed since. He hasn't wrestled at all since walking away. So uh, I had the opportunity to sit down with him to really talk about what he's going on, what he's got going on now, but in the spirit of that conversation, a lot of it ended up boiling down to where he's been and and why he left and if there was anything specific because I always wondered you know was there one specific incident because 
you know, when you look at Wade Barrett's career, right, when he popped up in NXT season one, this is the, the season of TV that led to the Nexus group, he won the show and had it written all over him. I mean, everybody was saying this is a future champion. You know, he had a personality, he had a presence, he was big, he was tall, he was athletic, he was young. He's British, which really doesn't hurt because it's only going to help you in international markets. Um, and he never quite made it to that level. And and maybe that was one of the things that uh, just eventually grinded his gears to the extent that he had to go. Because even when the Nexus started on Monday Night Raw on TV, it looked like, okay, this is, this is clearly going to be the thing that leads him into the championship title picture. And I, I feel like it was it, it all led to that SummerSlam multi-person tag match, the elimination match, where Daniel Bryan returned, where John Cena's team ended up winning. Like, the whole thing after that ended up going south, which is a real shame because that Nexus storyline, the, the beginning of it, is one of the all-time classic endings to an episode of Monday Night Raw. When you talk about best endings to Monday Night Raw ever, the Nexus debut has to be in that conversation now you have to do it without the bias of knowing that the nexus storyline doesn't pan out because if you're thinking about the fact that the story doesn't pan out then yes it does take away a lot from the ending but if you can just look at the ending independently oh what's going to happen next week then absolutely it's up there with any of the classic endings uh so it's a shame that that happened but i thought he still had legs i thought that the uh the King Barrett thing worked. A British guy as the king, and he took himself seriously, and he was a heel. I thought that that worked. I even thought Bad News Barrett, as ridiculous as it was, and he would get up on the cherry picker. People liked it. To this day, if you say, I'm afraid, I'm afraid I've got some bad news, people are going to get excited. You know, that that is still a catchphrase that people find themselves attached to. So it's it's Wade Barrett is one of those guys. There's a, there's a handful of guys that the question will always be why didn't it work out for that guy? And who knows? Maybe Wade Barrett will return and 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 do something more. But, you know, we get into that in this interview actually. So we'll get we'll get our answers at least on how he's feeling now. But there's really not that many guys that are in that sort of frame of people who are like, yeah, I would have thought, I would have thought more from him. Um, you know, he was clearly poised for this and then it just didn't happen. You know, it's going to be interesting what happens with Braun Strowman. We'll talk about that more as the show continues, but Braun Strowman is in a weird position right now, man. He's in a really weird position. We'll talk about that though. Before we get lost in Braun Strowman world, I want to start with my conversation with Stu Bennett who you used to know as Wade Barrett. Here he is, my guest this week on Not Sam Wrestling. The Not Sam Wrestling interview. Well, I believe this is the first time that we've uh, uh, spoken in your post-WWE career, but I've certainly been uh, keeping my eye on it because it's kind of been amazing to watch formerly Wade Barrett. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Stu Bennett's here. Stu, what's the haps, man? What's the haps? Yeah. There we go. I was waiting for that. I was trying to jump in before you, but I was like, no, I can't step on his on his catchphrase. What's well, so, the first uh, time I've asked Stu? What's it is. the haps? There we go. There we are. Wade remembered, but uh, right. yeah, Stu liked it too. So, right. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, things are going great. It's great to be here. It's great to see you again. Things have been going great for you. Uh, I love being here with with Sirius on your show. So, man, you know, we always talk about you know uh, the wrestling business and how there's all these opportunities here and there's this one selling out this building and everything, but it's Really, to me, the rarest story is the guy that leaves WWE and then doesn't get back in the ring because he thinks he's going to go either do music or do acting or something like that. And then actually starts popping up in movies and stuff. Like, I know I probably, it's probably pessimistic of me to be surprised when I see it, but when, when you didn't jump into the ring, I was like, he's just leaving money on the table. What's he doing? But then I started to see you pop up in movie trailers. And I was like, wait, he's actually, he's doing this. He's actually doing this. Uh, you have to be happy with the way your career is going because it certainly was a risk. Yeah, absolutely. It was a risk. I mean, but it was a risk I needed to take. And um, I would hate to portray this as some master plan that I had to get out of WWE and go act in some movies and, and you know, take it in that direction. That absolutely wasn't my plan. I left WWE because I was utterly miserable uh, wrestling at the time, and I needed to get away from the business. And I know what you're saying about leaving money on the table, and mm -hmm. I absolutely did, and I had offers from WWE, from every other major wrestling organization in the world to go and wrestle for them. I left WWE because I did not want to wrestle at that moment in time for sure. And um, once I'd got that set in my head, it was pretty easy to walk away then. The question then was, what do I do next? And um, that was really the... Uh, the sticking point, I think, looking back at some acting that I'd done, it was like, well, I really enjoyed doing that, and I'd made some contacts in the UK through acting work I'd done through WWE Studios on a couple of movies and got talking with them. And fortunately for me, a script came up called I Am Vengeance, which is uh, what we're, we're here to talk about today. And yeah. uh, is coming out tomorrow in theatrical releases in about 10 markets across the US and uh, on VOD. So, yeah, pretty excited about how things are going. And But it certainly was not the master plan. Well, yeah, I guess I didn't, I didn't realize that either it was just i want to do something that's not wrestling i don't know what that is but i just know what i don't want to do that's what it was yeah exactly i mean i was miserable for a long time in my final couple of years in wwe no um i've no beef with them and no no hate on them for that i just knew this isn't for me at this moment in time mm -hmm. once upon a time if you you go back to probably the early 2000s right the way through to about 2014 all i cared about in life was being a wrestler going on the road performing in front of crowds having wrestling matches getting better climbing the ladder uh, but then at some point probably in 2015 that started to to, to do a giant u-turn and become wait a minute what am i doing here this isn't going in the direction i want and uh the worst thing in the world you can do is sign a contract purely for money and to be offered a good contract by WWE and think to myself, well, this is a three-year deal. If I sign it financially, that will make the most sense of anything I could possibly do right sure. now. But also emotionally, spiritually, mentally, this is the absolute worst thing I could do is put my signature on this piece of paper. So Yeah, uh, and I guess if you keep doing that until you're 50 and then you get out, your opportunities are a lot fewer, right? That, that's right. And I was at a, a real kind of crossroads where – I'm young enough to do something else. Mm -hmm. And um, part of the problem with working with WWE is that it's a, a 275 nights a year gig. And even on your days off, you're doing promotions and this, that, and the other. And nothing will ever change as long as you're 
in that world and in that goldfish bowl because nothing can come in. While I was working for WWE in 2013 and 2014, film offers had come in for me, TV show offers had come in for me, sponsorship deals had come in for me, and they were all turned down by WWE because they would have involved me in part being taken away from their shows and their um, their kind of steam train that's running all over the world and I'd have to step off that steam steam train and, and go film for four weeks somewhere or go shoot a TV show for, for two weeks or even two days to uh, to film a, a series of commercials or something like that. They couldn't afford to take me off their shows for that period of time. So I knew that if I wanted to do something else, the only way you can do that is by first stepping away from WWE and then to me figuring out, okay, how do I make contacts now? How do I start speaking to people in the film world and finding agents and that sort of thing? So one had to come first and that was the the kind of cutting off wwe so it had to get and and that's not even a flaw of wwe just the way the business works like that's why people make a ton of money in wwe because they run a ton of shows but in order to run a ton of shows the talent needs to be at the shows that's it it's a it's a grind it's a grind lifestyle and it never ends until you get hurt and then you're sat at home rehabbing for three months or whatever it is and getting back straight onto that train and, and grinding again and that's really how you make your money in the wrestling world but when you're getting offers to do other things that you can't accept it must give you confidence that if I were to leave, there is other stuff out there. Because if I'm turning stuff down now, that means there is an interest in Stu being outside of the ring, right? For sure, that was definitely something in my mind. I knew the feedback I got from directors and people I'd worked with while I did the WWE Studios movies were positive. Reviews on my performances and stuff were positive, and the fact that calls were coming in and, and emails were being exchanged about me doing other things while I was with WWE certainly gave me a level of confidence, but there was still obviously that leap of faith that, okay, um, they have come in. That doesn't mean that now that I'd make that jump from WWE and WWE is no longer attached to my name and I'm no longer Wade Barrett, right. is that still going to come in? So there was definitely a a huge leap of faith for me there. I always knew in the back of my head, though, as the safety net, look, if this doesn't work, I can accept an offer from, let's say, TNA or, or, or Japan or even in the UK. There, There is money to be made in the non-WWE wrestling world now more so than ever. And, you know, you only have to look at some of the things that have gone on in the wrestling world for the last couple of years. So I knew, ultimately, I wasn't going to starve, but I also knew that I wanted to go away and start doing other things. Yeah, and there is this thing because you're you're what you're also letting go of is a promotional vehicle that obviously movie studios that want you more for that promotional ability than for your talent, those are offers aren't gonna come in anymore. At the same time, those might not be the offers that you want because they don't actually want you for you. This movie that you found, it's amazing because not only is it a legit film and you get to do what you wanted to do, but you're you're the star, you're the hero, you get to do badass stuff the whole time. Like, it's pretty amazing. Did you turn down stuff on your way to get here? No, I was fortunate in terms of this particular movie was yeah. the first one that came my way post-leaving WWE. So this was the the first vehicle that came along for me, which was a dream gig. And it was almost like I was pinching myself thinking, these guys have got to be you know, leading me up the alley here and this, this, is this really going to happen? And then, you know, three months later there we were filming it and um, it's been amazing. It's the first time in my life I've been in my creative life, shall we say, I've been portrayed as the, the hero or the good guy my entire wrestling that's career. that's true, yeah. I was the bad guy. The two movies I'd done prior to this, I was the bad guy. So it was a definitely a twist for me to, to go into something that was the, uh, the good guy. But subsequent to this, Many things have come in and many things have been turned down as not being right or not being at the level I want to be working, stuff like that. But I was fortunate that somehow 
this came along and it was the exact right vehicle for me at that moment in time for sure are there other projects that you've done that we you know because that's the thing like you know with with wrestling you do it on monday night we see it on monday night it's just like what's next what's next what's next these things like you said i mean people could sit there and be like but you've been gone for so long you've only this is what you've done and you're like this happened right after i left it takes a long time for these movies to come out this particular one i am vengeance was actually filmed in august and september 2016 so it's been in the can or getting edited and getting packaged and sold around the world to distributors for about two years now and finally we're at the point where it's coming out but also you know i did a movie called fanged up in the uk which got released it was a kind of horror comedy which got released about three months ago in the uk and did very well out there i don't think it had a u.s release because Mm -hmm. comedy can be a little regional i'm not sure how well it would have done out here um i also um i've hosted a show on netflix recently which is gonna get released on august 31st it's called ultimate beastmaster um and that is a show it's very similar in a sense to american ninja warrior where it's these obstacle course race kind of shows and i'm hosting that i'm commentating for the for the uk team and uh cm punk who i'm sure you've heard of um, yeah he used to wrestle too right yeah he oh, did okay. i think he had a bit of success but uh, <laughs> he was the 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 host for the u.s team too and there was a bunch of nations from around the world so that i've really enjoyed kind of hosting and commentating over the obstacle course runs and stuff so you'll see that on august the 31st 31st on netflix um and then on top of that i'm involved in a show called wos in the uk which is a return of something called world of sport which was a huge wrestling show back in the 70s and 80s in the uk and that's now returned to itv which is a a massive network out there so we'll get back to Stu in just a second you know i was watching football over the weekend i was trying to figure out what was going on everybody was happy that the jets won i didn't know why they won i didn't know why they lost in fact i didn't even know they were going to win you know that i had no idea the jets were going to win that's why when people ask me hey sam who do you think is going to win the game i go i have no clue Don't ask me. I know about wrestling. I don't know about football. But there are those people that do think that they know who's going to win the game. For instance, if you knew that the Jets were going to win over the weekend, there was a spot that you should have gone. That's my bookie. Yes, I always tell people, I don't know who's going to win, but if you do, you got to bet with my bookie. You want to make some money? You know things about sports? Use my bookie. Trust me. They're your best bet this season. They've been in business for years. They got great reviews online and their mobile site is so easy to use. They have in-game live betting and the most rewarding player perks in the entire business. Plus, for all you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player is going to score each game. Listen, put some cash down, win big, you win, they pay. I'm going to tell you something. I wouldn't advise you to do something foolish. You can trust me when I tell you. Join now, and my bookie is going to match your deposit dollar for dollar. That's how you know it's a good idea. You got to use my promo code, though. It's Sam Roberts. It's my name. S-A-M-R-O-B-E-R-T-S. Sam Roberts is the promo code that you use when creating your account, and you can claim up to $1,000 in free play. That's a G in your pocket on the computer. If you use promo code Sam Roberts, my bookie, M Y B O O K I E. And don't forget to use the promo code Sam Roberts when creating your account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid, and we get back to Stu Bennett. How stre- Was it a stressful process for you 
like the two years that it took to actually get this thing made after it shoots because like you said you're going like you read the script you get the lead role you're like no way this is even going to get made then it's actually being shot and you're like holy shit this is happening for real but then it's actually got to find its way from happening for real to our eyes and ears like is that is that a stressful two years i wouldn't say stressful i would say i was blown away by how long that process is being from the wrestling world where you go out there you're live you do it the next day you move on and everyone's pretty much forgotten about what happened yesterday because now we're on about today's show and let's do today's show bang and then it's instant it's always instant in the wrestling world you never film far in advance or anything like that because Mm -hmm. things just change so quickly and uh you're constantly riding riding that wave and uh this was the craziest thing in the world once we finished shooting i was like great we've got it all in the can i'm sure someone just needs to glue all those shots together in a uh, appropriate order and then (laughs) three months down the road this will be out and everybody will watch it and uh no i obviously didn't really understand the the film industry too well at that point so it's a lot of getting used to how long these things take to come out and even the ultimate beastmaster show that i was telling you about earlier the netflix one um, that was filmed just over a year ago at this point so uh yeah the the process of getting stuff in the can and then waiting for it actually to come out is is kind of excruciating more than anything it's uh you know you just want things out there immediately once you've finished of course i mean do you have to kind of figure out a way that you're okay with yourself that okay this might never see the light of day like my job is to act in it and to do what the director tells me and i'm going to shoot it and then everything after that is out of my control yeah i mean there's there's definitely an element of that and pro wrestling you kind of um you kind of i don't know you're, you're responsible for what you put out there and you know it's going to be seen because either the light live crowd that you're performing for is seeing it or the live tv show they're going to see it no matter what happens what i do now is living so there's always an element of um okay what i do i have a very small i'm the lead in this film but i've essentially a small part of this jigsaw puzzle of getting right. this film out there because the the lighting guys need to do their job correctly the sound guys the editing guys the director the uh, producers the promoters the people who are packaging it around the world and releasing it and the pr guys i am a very very small part of the puzzle even though it's my face on the front cover and uh, i'm the lead guy in that so it's definitely a new element of teamwork for me of making sure that uh, everyone's doing their job and everyone's happy with everything yeah because i mean in 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 specifically the wwe world but the whole wrestling world there is that team element i mean just because it, it, there's so many pieces of the puzzle but at the end of the day no matter how difficult it is you can get yourself over right you have a live mic you're in a ring in front of a live crowd like you 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 have control over that part when you're on a movie set you could have the greatest scene in the world the director can go like you know what eh, Let, let's, gonna... u- let's use the take before where exactly. i kind of sneezed halfway through or something like that <laughs> or you know uh yeah so it's uh it's yeah there's, there's an element of faith but the cool thing about it was the people i was working with at evolutionary films who who made i am vengeance they're uh Great professional bunch. They're a pretty young production company themselves, and um, this is a huge vehicle for them as much as it is for me. So they're going balls to the wall and making sure everything is perfect. And part of the process of taking two years to get it out there was because it was initially edited, sent out to a test market. Okay, let's bring it back. Let's make some changes, re-edit it, send it out again, make these uh, show it around the world to certain distributors. Okay, let's make a couple of tweaks for this market, a couple of tweaks for this market. I'll give you an example. The film hasn't actually come out in the UK yet. It's Mm -hmm. it's a staggered release, so it's coming out here um, on Friday, 24th of August. Um, in the US, but mm-hmm. in the UK, it's coming out on the 28th of September, so hmm. five weeks later, and uh, it's actually, the original name of the film was Vengeance, which it still is going to be in the UK, 
for whatever reason, Saban Films, who are promoting it in the US, changed the name to I Am Vengeance. So just little tweaks like that that they think will make a difference in this market. Why that is, I don't know. Yeah. That's beyond my pay grade. But, uh, you know, there's, there's tweaks even in the edit and the, the tra- each region has its own trailer and, and stuff like that. So it's... But all you, know, you can do is trust the process. There we go. I mean, there's people who are a lot smarter than I am doing <laughs> making these decisions in boardrooms somewhere. So yeah, you guys do your thing. I'll just stand there and get punched in the face, which is pretty much what I've done for my, uh, my entire career. Yeah, so. you're entire adult life which is yeah i mean but you're used to being like okay let's try it in front of the crowd oh that didn't work we're not gonna do that again as opposed to like no 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 no. this line this word here yeah we're gonna take this word out we need you to just record you saying this word we'll put it in the thing and it's amazing yeah it is and uh like like i say it's a leap of faith to uh, you know have this reliance on other people doing their job and i've been very fortunate in this one that i'm working with people who are who are doing a great job for me and making me look like a star which um, i can't ask for much more than that did you have to learn new fighting styles or how to shoot or anything like that yeah completely you... different that was the hardest thing of all actually was the the fighting styles on screen versus um wrestling so wrestling you bring with you this element okay i can do kind of fake fighting let's call it i'm i'm confident enough to call wrestling fake fighting it yeah. hurts we all know that but it's essentially it's a um a simulated fight we're sure. not really fighting so i have this skill in simulated fighting that i brought from the wrestling world and ways i would move and react to things but then when you get to the uh the film set it's completely different so in a wrestling ring you have a 360 degree seated audience of people every angle is watching you you have 10 cameras on you at any one time they could, any of them could be shooting so you know there can't be any holes in your work or anything like that when you're on set on a film, you have one camera shooting this one part of the fight. And it's not shooting the whole fight, it's shooting maybe four seconds of the fight. So you're throwing three or four punches and getting three or four punches back in return. Each one of those has to be precise, so the lighting guy is catching it right, the camera guy is catching it right, your foot needs to be in the right place where this guy you're fighting with throws his kick to make sure you've twisted at the right time and thrown your punch so he can duck it while he kicks. It is just the most exact, precise movement, and it's almost like a dance or ballet that everything is exact. And Whereas in the wrestling ring, it's very much, uh, I know they call Lucha Libre free fighting. It's, mm-hmm. it's very much improv, and I'm just reacting. If one guy moves that way in a wrestling ring, I'm just reacting to him. He doesn't know what I'm going to do next. I don't know what I'm going to do next. And uh, we're just kind of a, this living, moving fight that nobody really knows where it's going to go. We might have a rough idea, but 95% is just reacting to stuff. So, But I'd have to imagine that wrestling prepares you for an environment on the set where they could literally throw anything at you at a moment's notice and you're ready to go like, okay, that's what we're doing, that's what we're doing. Yeah, of course, in, in professional wrestling, things change all the time, live in front of a millions of people around the world watching and, and something goes wrong or a table isn't where it's supposed to be or you know, even the, the biggest spots like that and you learn to just go with the flow. And I think that's definitely held me in good stead in the acting world because um, I always seem to be one of the calmest people on the set, Um, whereas actors who are perhaps not used to that intensity and that level of change, when something goes wrong, you need to go with the flow and, uh, okay, this prop isn't going to work, let's change it and do this here or something. I always seem to go with that pretty easily, which... I guess would come from years and years of being in those pressure moments live on TV where you have no option but to make things work and right. figure it out there and then in a flash. So I would imagine, though, that uh, as precise as a movie fight has to be, you probably go home feeling a lot less sore uh, than you used to. Or well, do you not? The, Maybe the, I'm wrong. The difference being that in professional wrestling, it's a... It is a grind. We're working nonstop, traveling nonstop, but the actual wrestling part might be... 
10 minutes. Right. You know, the actual time you're out there in a match is 10 minutes. If I'm shooting a fight scene, we might shoot that over two days where I'm shooting for 12 hours every day with one hour break for lunch. And throughout that day, some of the fight scenes, parts are, are very are very easy, but other parts, I might have to get thrown the same way 20 times to make sure we get the shot. Because, oh, sorry, boom in the peg. Oh, got a little blur on that one. Oh, didn't quite catch your face there. And you do the same landing 20 times in a row. Right. And then, okay, let's go to the next three seconds of the fight. And then it's another landing the other way. And then it's a kick to the gut. And so... And you're just like, I thought I wasn't taking bumps two, anymore. Two, what are we two doing? Day, two days <laughs> into this, suddenly everything is hurting. And you're like, okay, that's fight one. We have five more fights to do in this movie. So it's, uh, yeah, it can, can be a bit of both. So Sometimes and it's, uh, did you do all your own stunts for this yeah, film? Yeah, I did. I, I think uh, part of the attraction of hiring a wrestler to mm -hmm. be the lead actor in a, a film is that you save a little money on the stunt guy. Like, <laughs> hey, well, you're doing your own stunts in this. Like Every other actor has their own stunt guy, and then right. the wrestler guy, he doesn't need one. That's that's what he does, right? right? So, yeah, I guess they saved a few quid on that. You start looking around the stunt doubles, and you're like, there's nobody even half as tall <laughs> yeah, as me. This exactly, is, exactly. I'm on my own on that's this That's their one. excuse. Anyway, I'm sure if you tried hard enough, you could find someone. Yeah. But, uh, wait, wait. They, they found a stunt double for The Rock, but not for... Exactly. Not for Stu, exactly. huh? Mm, okay. <laughs> Convenient. Convenient. Yeah. So when you said that you were uh, kind of over pro wrestling in general, when you were just done with it, was that a matter of feeling like you were stagnating? I mean, you had pretty quick growth, at least for your WWE run. It was like boom, boom, boom. You're always looked at as going to be the next top guy, going to be the next top guy. And then in a moment, it was like, okay, this is you were doing what you were doing for a while there was it a matter of stagnating was it a matter of i just can't find the passion for this anymore yeah i think uh there'd been a couple of false dawns where i felt that uh decisions had they gone in my favor um uh, would have changed the trajectory of my career um so those were always disappointing when decisions in boardrooms were being made that uh were disadvantaged disadvantageous to where i wanted to go uh on top of that i felt especially in my last couple of years i was lacking any form of creative control even down to the most basic things about what my character could wear as an outfit or what my character could say on the mic and little tweaks i would want to make to promos and stuff and um i felt that i was i was getting nothing back on <clears throat> the kind of requests i was making to to make changes and improve what i felt was a a pretty stale period in my career i, w I wasn't getting much back in return so um at that point i started to see the writing on the wall and aside from Climbing up into the main event and winning the WWE Championship, I didn't really know what other goals I could possibly have in the WWE world because I'd done everything at that point. I'd been on every pay-per-view. Mm -hmm. I'd been on every show. I'd worked every guy on the card. I'd been the guy who opens the show. I'd been the guy who closes the show in the main events. And aside from that one thing that I had hanging over me that was to become, okay, I want to be the top guy and have this run with the, the World Championship, I had nothing else really that I wanted aside from, you know, pay. So it got to the point where I knew, I know this isn't going to happen. Right. I'm not going to be moved in that direction of this one last box that I need to check to say I've won that championship. Um, so aside from that, I was just really going through the motions for pay, which um, once you realize you're living life like that, for me personally, um, it wasn't a great, place to be mentally at all and uh that's that's pretty much when the decision came to move on and uh, and do do other things so. so you talk about checking boxes now that you know you've got everything that we just talked about you got beastmaster coming out you got uh i am vengeance which everybody is about to see and you'll be able to find it whatever on demand i love that movies are coming out on demand because if you're in one of the 10 markets that it's in you should definitely go see it in theaters just because i don't know i still like going to movie theaters i think that's the way movies are supposed to be seen and and i think you know, if you're listening to this and you're a wrestling fan, we should support 
the guys that we liked in the ring when it when they do something else, you know what I mean? Like I just think, you know, we should we should support that and go see it in a movie theater. But it's also very convenient that you can either turn on cable on demand or iTunes or whatever and you can see, you know, the beautiful face of Stu Bennett staring back at you it's, and just be- click it. It's beautiful and... from certain angles in, <laughs> in certain lights. Let's be clear. If you, get, if you get me straight on in good light, it's horrific. <laughs> yeah, but that's what Hollywood's good at, right? Exactly. <laughs> figuring exactly. out how to, how to take a picture of you. Um, but now that you've got this movie coming out that you're the star of, like these are a lot, again, in short form, a lot of boxes to check and a lot of success to be had. Do you feel like, okay, I've... I'm I've proven to myself that I can have a life outside of the ring. Maybe I can be a little more comfortable about getting back inside of it now. Uh or do you like doing this outside of the ring and and think that this is the road you want to keep going on? I think one of the things that happened to me in my last couple of years with WWE where I realized how unhappy I was in that environment was that I realized perhaps as I'm getting older I need variety and balance in my life and um I will always have a piece of me that loves pro wrestling and wants to be involved and in some capacity i'll always be involved i will never go back to being on the road 275 nights a year and wrestling a full-time schedule because it just doesn't appeal to me at this point in time i shouldn't say never because you never really know but a few years down the road you have a change but as 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 we speak in your mind full-time wrestler with nothing else outside of that it doesn't appeal to me i like having balance in my life i like being out so cool i'm gonna go host a show for netflix and then i'm gonna go shoot a movie and then i'm gonna go do a little wrestling commentary and and this sort of thing and then you know what then i'm gonna go spend a couple of weeks going away with my girlfriend uh to greece on holiday which i've just come back from so these were all things that weren't available to me while I was working full-time with WWE and will never be available as you work full-time with WWE. So the older I got, the more I started to appreciate variety and balance in my life. And uh, once you get a taste of that returning and you realize how happy that can make you, uh, it's very difficult to ever give, conceive giving that up again. How long does it take you to slow down mentally? Like when you get at, get out of there and you're like, okay, I'm going to take some time finding a, a, a Hollywood project. Okay, I can go on vacation without being like, I got to get back because they're going to forget about me. Yeah. They're going to forget about me. With, with WWE, I couldn't relax. It didn't matter what I was doing. It, I might have had an injury and, and be rehabbing that and sat at home. I couldn't relax at any point. I might have three days off and a great, a great situation would be three days in a row off, which very rarely happen you usually get one or two uh but if i had three days off again i couldn't relax all i was thinking was okay where's this storyline going what should i be doing okay i've got to do this phone interview with this market where we're going to wrestle next week and uh i've got to think oh i need new gear i better design some new wrestling gear and uh you know to do the stupid uh, sam roberts podcast well that that was always always the fun times actually (laughs) sam but um, no it's uh it was very hard to relax then and my life is so much more relaxed now. I like the fact that when I'm going to work on a project, um, I will have four or five weeks straight of shooting intensely. But then I know at the end, cool, I get two weeks to just go sit around and go to the gym and hang out with my girlfriend. And, uh, you know, if I want to do a bit of travel, I can. Because then, you know, after that, we have, oh, cool, we got a promotional week for that project coming up. And then, you know what, I need to go back over to the UK because I've got another film coming up and I'm shooting over there now. And it's it's nice to have these intense periods of work but also these intense periods of relaxation and uh and pleasure and and seeing the people that you love and your family and stuff like that which i never got the chance to do before so well it's amazing uh watching it all happen and i think i speak for a lot of us when it's just fun seeing it i feel like you know we're 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 in the middle of all of it um and it's also it's it's always good to see a guy like you come in 
and you're still in, like, you're in, like, the best shape ah, ever. You're too kind. I'm, so, glad, I'm glad we're on radio and no one can see my big fat belly. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, <laughs> all I see is the biceps, so I, I know your arms still look good, so it makes me feel like at a moment's notice you could just jump back in there. Yeah, and, we'll, uh, we'll never say never, right? And shock the world, but uh, everybody, uh, make sure you go out of your way to check out I Am Vengeance, whether it's in a movie theater or it's on demand or whatever, and... Uh, Check out what Bad News Barrett has been doing with his life since uh, that part of his life ended. Uh, Stu, I appreciate you hanging out, man. Sam, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And the haps, once again, have been good. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Stu Bennett, for giving us all that knowledge. But I've got to tell you, it's been difficult being me. Look, working with WWE is a dream gig, no doubt. But here's what happens. I work with WWE, I have guests on this podcast, people around me, they know. They go, Sam, you're connected. Can you get me in the door? Can you get me tickets? And I have to be the bad guy and tell them, no, I can't get you tickets. I don't have those types of connections. They go, do you know where I can get tickets? I go, okay, now you're asking me a question that I can answer. The answer is obvious, it's Seat Geek. Yes, of course, it's Seat Geek. Look. SeatGeek is the best spot. Football's back. SeatGeek is how you're going to get tickets to every game all season long. Wrestling happens all year long. SeatGeek is how you're going to get tickets to every show that you want to go to, whether it's comedy, whether it's Broadway, whether it's any sporting matchup you can possibly imagine. SeatGeek is the way to go. You could even go see a concert. Whatever you want, SeatGeek is going to help you out. Trust me. They help me out all the time. In fact, they help me out by letting me tell you about them on this here Not Sam Wrestling podcast. Here's what SeatGeek does. They search multiple ticket sites, and they grade every ticket based on value. You download the app on your phone. You can put in your location. You can put in what you want to see. You can put in whatever you want. You're going to be able to find all these events that are happening. Click on the event. Seating chart comes up. All the tickets that are available, you'll be able to see them. The tickets that are available are going to be graded blue, uh, uh, green, yellow, red. That's going to let you know what the value is of the ticket that's available. So if you want the best seats in the house, you got them. If you want the best value seats in the house, you got them. Whatever you need, SeatGeek has you covered. Here's what you need to do. Download the app now because not only are you going to get the best deal, but... I'm going to make sure that you have the best deal by giving you another $20 off your first purchase. That's right. Just for listening to Not Sam Wrestling, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SAM today. S-A-M. Promo code SAM. And you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Support them because they support us. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. You got $20 off. On with the show. Here is Sam Roberts. I thought Stu Bennett was just great. Stu Bennett was just great. You know, it's I, I, I would love to see him back full-time in the WWE. And when I saw him, I mean, I uh, the video will be up. If you're on Patreon, you can already see the video right now at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. But uh, if not, it'll be up within a week or two over on the YouTube channel, YouTube slash notsam. He's in amazing shape. Like, he looks like he's ready to get back in the ring right now. I would love to see Wade Barrett make a full-time return to WWE right now. I, I, I think that they could do great things. I mean, there are so many great matches that you could have with him. But he seems pretty good not doing that. You know, he's one of these guys that it's, it seems like, I'm sure there's a, a price that you could give him to do it. But 
It seems like he doesn't want to return full time. That's pretty much what he said that he he would he would wrestle again and he could wrestle again, but he just doesn't want to do that full time schedule, and that's a deal breaker for a lot of guys. And it's tough to blame people for it. You know, it's a really difficult life. You have to really want to be doing that to do it, especially because you know in WWE it's not like you know. You, you can make your money and then split. And that's kind of what Stu Bennett did, right? Is that he made enough money that he didn't have to stick around. And then now he's just, he's he's still working. He's not set for life, but he doesn't have to work that full-time schedule. Uh, What I'm trying to say is that people don't have to work for WWE full-time. They want to. So if you don't want to, I guess it becomes a tough argument. But I, I hope that at some point he decides he wants that glory back. You know what I mean? He decides he wants to to do that again because I think he's just awesome. I think he's really, really cool. And I think that uh, he could do a lot. You know, we'll talk about, in the state of wrestling, we'll talk about that uh, list of factions that WWE put out and if the Nexus should be on that list or should not be on that list. But before we get into state of wrestling, I wanted to talk about the the turns, the turns that are, are, are going on right now as we lead into Hell in a Cell in WWE. And it's really, I mean... It's a weird time. So, you know, I've been thinking more and more about the Charlotte-Becky relationship. And at Hell in a Cell, I think we're going to learn a lot about what that relationship is. Personally, I think that the two, that Becky and Charlotte should be in a cage match at Evolution. You know, I think that that Evolution, hopefully, and and that's going to be the next big pay-per-view that we start to promote once Hell in a Cell. Well, I guess... I think Super Showdown is before Evolution. So we'll start pushing even harder on Super Showdown, I guess. But then Evolution. And, you know, I'm assuming we're going to do Charlotte Becky at Hell in a Cell and then Charlotte Becky at Super Showdown. And then those will be the two singles matches. The SummerSlam was a triple threat. So I guess the rubber match would be Evolution. And hopefully that is a cage match there's some kind of interference i would imagine on becky's side unless you know having somebody interfere on behalf of charlotte would at least not it, it would be it wouldn't be going against the wave that's happening right now with the audience you know it's almost like the the story between charlotte and becky in some ways mirrors the macho man hulk hogan story going into WrestleMania 5. In terms of everything that Macho Man said was true. You know, all the accusations that Macho Man made against Hulk Hogan in Macho Man's mind were true. The the I don't know if Hulk Hogan actually had lust in his eyes, brother, but you know, all these instances of Hulk Hogan kind of favoring Liz, like if you're hanging out with your buddy and he is being not cool to his girlfriend, and then you start kind of trying to make her feel better, that's not that cool. Like, it's a nice thing to do to the girl, but you're clearly taking the side of the girl over your friend, which is gonna, it's gonna create that thing. It's gonna gonna create animosity. Hulk Hogan's behavior in the battles, in, in, in what broke up the friendship between Macho Man and Hulk Hogan was not nothing, right? It, uh, forgivable, yes. But something that needed explanation as well, yes. You know, I think that if any of us were in the position 
that Macho Man was in, yes, should we would we have treated our our ladies like Miss Elizabeth differently? Of course. Would we be that jealous and insecure? Of course not. But should we end up in a position where maybe we were arguing with our girlfriend publicly and one of your friends came up to you and kind of was like, oh, come here, it's okay, and started talking to your girlfriend and being like trying to console her a little bit, it'd be like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing right now? You know, the stuff that Hulk Hogan did, he eliminated Macho Man from the Royal Rumble. Macho Man was justified in his heel behavior, but... I guess the crowd loved Hulk Hogan so much and Macho Man had mistreated Elizabeth to an extent that it made it clear that we're going to cheer Hulk Hogan and boo Macho Man. The problem with Becky and Charlotte is that Becky is justified the same way Macho Man was in the fact that, that there should be some resentment towards Charlotte the same way there should be some resentment toward Hulk Hogan. You know, that Hulk Hogan needed to step aside in order to allow Macho Man to shine, and he did not. Charlotte needs to step aside in order to allow Becky to shine, but she did not. The problem is, you don't have a Miss Elizabeth that is being mistreated. Miss Elizabeth being mistreated made it so that we could all side with Hulk Hogan and say, hey, but we love Elizabeth and you shouldn't be mistreating her. The fact that there is no Miss Elizabeth in this equation has led us to a place where it's like, no, Becky's right, and she's not being out of line. And that's what's made it so that people are cheering for Becky. Also, Charlotte doesn't have as much good favor built in as Hulk Hogan did. Charlotte is arguably the most popular woman on the roster. I would argue that she is the most popular woman on the roster, but it hasn't been for as long as uh, as as Hulk Hogan was. And Hulk Hogan wasn't arguably the most popular superstar on the roster. Hulk Hogan was the most popular superstar on the roster. Hulk Hogan, for men in that era, was... If you took Charlotte and Ronda Rousey and Asuka and combined them into one star... Then you've got Hulk Hogan. And Becky is a good sort of uh, uh, comparison to Macho Man. I think Becky could be compared to Randy Savage more so than Becky could be compared to what some people are doing, which is Stone Cold Steve Austin. I don't think the Becky Stone Cold Steve Austin comparison really holds water, but I think the Becky Randy Savage comparison completely holds water. I think if you took Randy Savage and you don't have Elizabeth there, you don't have the crowd turning on that guy. And I think that Hulk Hogan needs to be that big of a star. If you don't have Miss Elizabeth, and if you don't have Hulk Hogan being as big of a star as he is, you don't have Macho Man becoming a heel. And that's the scenario that we're in right now with Becky Lynch, is that Charlotte, while arguably the most popular female superstar, is not Hulk Hogan level. She is not Charlotte and Asuka and Ronda Rousey all combined, right? And Becky doesn't have a, a, a good guy foil to really bring out the bad guy in her the way Miss Elizabeth was for Macho Man Randy Savage. So you're left with people cheering for Becky Lynch. Now, hopefully, I, I think the only thing you can do is have somebody interfere 
on Charlotte's behalf to really surprise people, but make it somebody that Charlotte didn't ask for their help. I think if you have Carmella interfere for Charlotte and have Charlotte win, or Asuka, have Asuka interfere, have somebody interfere. I would say Carmella because that person is going to become a heel as well, I think. Have Charlotte win against Becky Lynch with the help of somebody whom she did not ask because you're not going to do a, a, a Charlotte heel turn. I don't think that makes any sense, right? But you can't go against this wave that's going in favor of Becky. That makes no sense. If you have interference for Becky by Becky or, or you know what I mean, with Becky's consent, you're not, she's still not going to be a bad guy. She's still not going to get booed. I don't think you're going to get Becky Lynch booed right now. You're just, you don't have the foundation for it. So you have Carmella or somebody like Carmella come in, interfere so that Becky does not win the title. Okay. You now have the opportunity to slowly start backing the truck up on this Becky heel turn and, and, and make the heel whoever interferes on Charlotte's behalf, whether it's Carmella, whether it's whoever. And Charlotte's going to be annoyed about it, right? And she's going to say, Becky, I am happy to give you a rematch at Super Showdown because I did not want to win that way. And Becky's going to go like, you don't give me a rematch. I'm owed a rematch. You know what I mean? I earned that rematch. You can't beat me, blah, blah, blah. And and Becky's still going to keep the chip on her shoulder, but not really going to be that heel, right? So then you go to Super Showdown and maybe you have some interference again. Maybe that person comes out again. Or maybe that person comes out to interfere. Charlotte pushes her away. And then I wouldn't give Becky the title because if you give Becky the title only to give it back to Charlotte, well, you might have to. Okay, give Becky the title at Super Showdown. Have the person interfere. Have Charlotte going, what are you doing here? And have Becky roll her up. Then at Evolution... I would say Charlotte versus Becky inside a steel cage. I think you should do a stipulation match at Evolution just to spice it up, and I think it should be a cage match, and I think Becky and Charlotte is the match to have in that cage. And you got to let these two have a knockdown, drag out, I'm talking Bret Hart, Owen Hart level cage match, and have Charlotte win, but have them embrace after the match. It is crucial that you have Becky and Charlotte embrace after that match. Eventually, we can get back to a Becky title run when she's a good guy. But clearly, you want the title on Charlotte. Have them embrace and have Charlotte start to focus. And maybe either have Charlotte or Becky focus on whoever was interfering in those matches. If it's Carmella, if it's uh, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. And then maybe you go forward and you have Becky and Charlotte against Billy Kay and Peyton Royce because they kept interfering in those matches. You know, that's that's something you could do in my mind. I, I would probably have... Peyton Royce interfere in the match at Hell in a Cell in Charlotte's favor and have Charlotte win that way. At Super Showdown, Billy Kay is going to come out and uh, 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 and Charlotte's going to turn around and say, what are you doing? Becky Lynch is going to roll her up. She's going to win the title. At, uh, at Evolution, the cage match happens and Charlotte wins fair and square 
the uh, Peyton Royce and Becky, uh, Peyton Royce and Billy Kay, they come out. The Iconics come out, but they end up not actually. They ended up getting shooed away by both competitors. So now you've done the Becky Lynch face turn within the match because Becky Lynch is helping Charlotte shoo them away. We don't. Neither one of us want you out here. Then they have the second half of that match, knockdown, drag out, double face, because Becky is still a heel going into that match. Double face now in that match because Becky has officially turned. You have Charlotte win fair and square, and then Becky finally does embrace her legitimately. And you've got two baby faces that now go into Survivor Series ready to have a tag match where it's Charlotte and Becky versus the Iconics. If you're ready to put out a women's tag team championship by then, not a bad way to start the tournament in my mind. Have that as a first-round match. Just a thought. Just a thought. The other heel turn, you know, really reared its head again uh, at the end of Raw with Braun Strowman as a, a true heel at the beginning and end of Raw. You know, I thought that the Roman spot was really good at the end of Raw. And I thought that uh, if you listened... It was a very mixed reaction to Roman. It was not all booze. I say it was a very mixed reaction to Roman when he raised his hand up in a positive way. Half cheers, half booze for Roman when he raised his hand up. But at the beginning of Raw, that promo, I mean, Braun Strowman was back to being a full-on heel that we saw maybe six months ago. Maybe more than that. Which I'm going to say the same thing now that I said way back then. The fans want to cheer Braun Strowman. The fans are going to be confused by Braun Strowman being a heel. Up until a month ago, up until Summer, two weeks after SummerSlam, Braun Strowman was a clear babyface. I mean, by-the-book babyface. And the reason it worked as him being a by-the-book babyface is because fans want to cheer Braun Strowman. They want to cheer him. So you can experiment a little with heel Braun Strowman if that's what you want to do for this Hell in a Cell match. But after Hell in a Cell, you cannot keep this guy a heel. You know, I think that you've got to, the only way to do this is, it's similar to the Becky Lynch scenario, is you've got to have Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre interfere in this match, but do it in a way that is not effective, right? They've got to accidentally hit Braun Strowman or something like that, because coming off of Hell in a Cell, Roman Reigns is still your universal champion, and Braun is mad at Dolph Ziggler and... Uh, uh, Drew McIntyre and maybe now you can find because by the way Braun Strowman is going to continue to get cheered because you're going to start mixed match challenge right after this right and Braun Strowman is going to team with Alexa Bliss people love Braun Strowman and Alexa Bliss together that was one of the highlights of the first season of mixed match challenge people love team little big Braun Strowman truly became the babyface that he is, I think, during that period of time, partly because of Team Little Big. You're not going to convince an audience that this guy's a heel while he's teaming with Alexa Bliss. You're not going to honestly convince an audience that this guy's a heel anyway. So coming off of Hell in a Cell, Braun Strowman has got to be mad at Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre We've seen all we can possibly see of Finn Balor and Baron Corbin, in my personal opinion. I think that in that period of time where you had Finn Balor teaming up with Braun Strowman, you actually had some interest. Going into Survivor Series and for the rest of the year, I think you're looking at Finn Balor and Braun Strowman teaming up to take on Dolph Ziggler and and Drew McIntyre for those tag team championship and for that tag team championship. 
And I think that that's how you're going to just, just, just wash yourself. Just wash yourself. You've blown it with the briefcase. Honestly, the, the, the whole Braun Strowman, you should have just given Kevin Owens the briefcase. You could still have put Braun Strowman in the Hell in a Cell match, but the, the whole thing's been blown. It, him as a heel doesn't work at all, and it's not going to work. So I think the best thing you can do here You've made some decent TV. I like seeing all the heels on TV. I liked seeing the end of Raw. I liked the last two ends of Raw. I liked seeing the Shield get beaten down at the end of Raw. I honestly liked seeing... I was glad that Roman Reigns was the one who had his hand in the air. I didn't want to see Braun Strowman take out Roman Reigns again. I thought it was time to see Roman Reigns look strong as Universal Champion, and we did. I think that Roman Reigns should win Hell in a Cell. I think that... Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler should try to interfere and screw it up. I think that we should have a scenario where you've got Shawn Michaels telling Psycho Sid next time he needs you, he's going to give you the night off. Psycho Sid turns on Shawn. Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler are going to turn on Braun Strowman, technically. right? Braun Strowman's going to be like, I don't need you guys in my corner anymore, and then they're going to jump him, at which point Finn Balor's going to come out and help Braun Strowman. And then we're going to go forward maybe even at Super Showdown, you know, have have Braun Strowman. I know you, you probably want to do The Shield versus Braun Strowman, Dolph Ziggler, and Drew McIntyre. You've got to change course. You've got to see what's in front of you. You've already got the Tag Team Championship on Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler. You have Finn Balor and Braun Strowman chasing Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler for that tag team title. Eventually, you put the tag title on Braun Strowman and Finn Balor. And in the meantime, who do you have as a a three-man tag against the Shield? I don't know. Maybe we'll tackle that next week after Hell in a Cell, or maybe we won't. Maybe Hell in a Cell will put us in a completely different mindset. But we're going to break down Hell in a Cell right now because it's time for the State of Wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Yes, it is time for this week's State of Wrestling here on Not Sam Wrestling. Of course, from the Not Sam studio, as always, if you want to see what the studio looks like, if you want to watch the State of Wrestling, the only place to do it is for you Not Sam shills on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling is the exclusive home to the video version of the State of Wrestling every week. It goes up at the same time as the podcast goes up, so check it out if you're interested in something like that. Also, the podcast goes up early at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling and ad-free every single week. Now, let's get into the State of Wrestling, the top five stories as I see them, Uh, and we're going to break them down. The Story number five is actually a two-pronged story this week. Part of it has to do with Hulk Hogan, and part of it has to do with a WWE Instagram post that went out uh, late last week. So, we'll start with Hulk Hogan, I guess. <clears throat> Hulk Hogan, uh, you know, he's putting out these videos that say the NWO is uh, getting back together, which, you know, they're getting back together for autograph signings. It's not quite the same as the NWO getting back together, but regardless, there'll be fun autograph signings. And he said that the NWO would uh, destroy the Shield. Which, you know, I I don't know what the question he's asking is. If you're saying right now, if there was a match between Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall versus Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, and Dean Ambrose, in 2018, The Shield is a much better faction than old NWO. But 
If you're saying the entire NWO from 98 comes over to face the Shield from 2018, yes, the NWO is a huge, huge faction, and they would win just because they have the numbers. And quite frankly, they have Virgil. And we all know whichever faction has Virgil, that's the faction that's going to wind up on top. But the bigger question is, which is the better faction? Maybe that's what you're asking. Which is the better wrestling stable, the NWO or the Shield? Which brings us to the real topic of conversation for story number five in the state of wrestling this week, which is an Instagram post that WWE uh, put out last week. And it said, and I think they put this out on Twitter as well, but it was an image. And it said, 10 best factions of all time. And here's the list that the WWE put out, the photos of everything. Number 10, the Undisputed Era. Number 9, the Freebirds. Number 8, the Nexus, who, Wade Barrett, who was on the podcast earlier today, was a member. Number 7, the Hart Foundation. And that's, of course, the uh, 1997 Hart Foundation, not the tag team, but the faction, the stable. That's uh, Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil Nightheart, but also Owen Hart, British Bulldog, and Brian Pillman. The New Day comes in at number six. Evolution at number five. The New World Order at number four. Degeneration X at number three. The Four Horsemen at number two. And The Shield at the number one best faction of all time. I, like most of you, have a lot of problems with this list. The Shield is not the greatest faction of all time. Some of these people don't be- don't belong on the list, but the whole thing needs to be completely reorganized. Um, the Shield could go down, theoretically, as the greatest faction of all time, maybe, but it's going to need to be around for a little bit longer. You know, the first incarnation of the Shield was great, but only lasted so long. A lot of people think that they broke the Shield up right at the peak, which maybe you would have more discussion of them being one of the great factions of all time had you let them go the distance a little bit longer. The Shield, unlike most factions, you go through the members of these factions, and the Shield is one of the very few who all three members are main event guys and will be main event guys for the foreseeable future. That definitely puts them in the running of top 10. To me, they belong on the list, but they're not the best faction of all time. I'll tell you, first of all, who should not be on the list. The Undisputed Era should not be on the list. That's Kyle O'Reilly, that's uh, Bobby Fish, that's Adam Cole, and of course, Roddy Strong. Here's why I don't think they should be on the list. That's because they're too new. Like, they're, they're, they're definitely for the great wrestlers. Like, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Undisputed Era. They're one of the best factions right now. But if they broke up tomorrow, they're barely a footnote. You know what I mean? All four of these guys are going to go on to have great careers, I believe. I've, I've vouched for all of them here on the podcast. But as a faction, they haven't done enough yet to be in the conversation of top 10. They're just right now. I mean, I would argue that in terms of NXT factions, if you're just talking NXT, Sanity has, if you look at the history of Sanity, everything Sanity ever did, they would probably rank higher on a list of factions than everything the Undisputed Era has done so far. At the end of the day, I think the Undisputed Era are going to definitely be a better faction than Sanity. But as of today... They shouldn't be on the list. 
the Nexus should not be on the list. The Nexus, they had, as we talked about earlier on the podcast, they had a great debut. They had a great, amazing jumping onto the scene when they tore apart the ring, when they beat up John Cena and they beat up CM Punk and they, you know, they just destroyed Raw. It was one of the great moments in the history of Raw. But that one moment is not enough to put them on the list. It's not enough, I don't think. You know, they had the potential to be one of the best factions of all time. But because they ran out of steam, to me, not one of the top 10 best factions of all time. You know, it led to a couple of spinoffs. I think the new Nexus was not a good faction. I think the core was not a good faction. If you look down the list, the Nexus, Wade Barrett, Justin Gabriel, Michael Tarver, David, uh, David Otunga, and Heath Slater, Darren Young, was David Otunga only in the new Nexus or the old Nexus? No, no, he was in the original Nexus. And Darren Young. Daniel Bryan lasted one day in the Nexus, but that doesn't count. None of those guys went on to big fame, though. None of those guys went on to a, a world championship in WWE anyway. So I can't put the Nexus on the list. They had the potential, but they didn't end up on the list. Not for me. Um, I don't think the New Day should be on the list only because I don't view the New Day as a faction I view the New Day as a three-man tag team. And the difference is that the Freebirds also worked as solo competitors. Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy specifically, Buddy Roberts a little bit. They also had a fourth member, by the way, Jimmy Garvin, which automatically makes them a faction. But I believe that the Freebirds work just as much as singles as they do a team. Whereas the New Day, while they have singles matches... Let's be honest, they're a team, right? They're not going for any singles titles. They're going for the tag titles only. So to me, the New Day is a tag team. It's the same reason why Demolition wouldn't be on this list. Demolition is a three-person tag team, not a faction. In ECW, the triple threat, that's a three-person faction. Bam Bam Bigelow, Chris Candido, the franchise Shane Douglas. That is a three-man faction because they all work separately as well as in a group unit. The Brood... That is a three-man faction because they work separately. Edge over here, Gangrel over here, Christian over here, as well as a three-man group. The New Day is a three-person tag team. Demolition, a three-person tag team. Just the way I view things. So New Day should not be on the list. And quite frankly, I don't think Evolution makes my top ten. And I think that was probably because they weren't around for that long. I think Evolution would absolutely make my top twenty. They would not make my top 10. I gave this a lot of thought. And there's a lot of factions that should get honorable mention. I think the Nation of Domination deserves honorable mention. I think they were great in the Attitude Era. Revolutionary too. The Wyatt family deserves honorable mention. They didn't reach their potential though. I think a faction in order to be on this list has to have reached their potential at least. The Wyatt family did not reach their potential. That's why. And I think the Blue World Order, believe it or not, from ECW, as well as the factions I already mentioned, the Triple Threat, the Blue World Order deserves honorable mention, not to be on the top 10 list, but honorable mention. Because Stevie Richards was a main event ECW star as a member of the BWO. The BWO sold a ton of shirts. The BWO is a very popular faction. Now, you could say that a lot of that had to do with how popular the NWO was, and you'd be right. But the LWO, for instance, the Latino World Order, that does not make the honorable mention list. 
The blue world order makes the list ahead of the Latino world order by a lot. Timmy, in terms of greatest factions, but I put together my top 10 list. You're going to say, well, Sam, you can't just nitpick the WWE's list. I took off Undisputed Era. I took off the Nexus. I took off the New Day. I took off Evolution. I think the Freebirds, the Hart Foundation, the NWO DX, the Four Horsemen, and the Shield, those six factions from the WWE's top 10 list all deserve to be on that list, but not in the order that they are listed. So here we go. I'm going to add four more teams and I'm going to reorder here to me is your list as it stands today of the top 10 factions in wrestling. I'm going to start with number 10 on this list. We have representation of the Monday night war attitude era with DX and the NWO. We have representation and the heart foundation. We have representation of the eighties and the NWA with the Four Horsemen and the Freebirds. We have representation of today with the Shield and the Undisputed Era, and we have representation of uh, five or five to ten years ago, the, the early 2010s, the post-Attitude Era with the Nexus, WWE's list. What we don't have representation of is the WWE's new generation. Now, the new generation, not an era that's looked on very fondly. The new generation is looked on as a, a dark time in WWE, a rebuilding period, as it were. But there is a lot of good to come out of the new generation. The Undertaker did a lot in the new generation. Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels rose to fame in the new generation. Duke the Dumpster Drossy became a household name in the new generation. But there was one faction, one faction that deserves to be mentioned from the new generation. And that one faction is the Million Dollar Corporation. The Million Dollar Corporation is my number 10 faction of all time. The Million Dollar Corporation started with Nikolai Volkov, a superstar who was down on his luck. He had to wear a t-shirt with a cent that looked like the Million Dollar Man's tuxedo, but it was a tuxedo t-shirt. And instead of a dollar sign, it was a cent sign all over it because he was down on his luck. He didn't want to be with the Million Dollar Man, but he was forced to. The Million Dollar Corporation gave us the supreme fighting machine, Kama Mustafa, who would later go on to become Kama and the Godfather, who previously had been Papa Shango. But that was the, the, that gave us an opponent for The Undertaker and the melted urn that he wore as a chain. The Million Dollar Corporation gave us context for the return of King Kong Bundy in the new generation of the WWE. The Million Dollar Corporation gave a home to Erwin R. Scheister after leaving that sort of uh, uh, character-driven early 90s. Well, what do we do with IRS? We put him in the Million Dollar Corporation. The Million Dollar Corporation also gave us a feud for Lex Luger after the Yokozuna experiment did not work, and that was Tatanka. Everybody was hooked on it. Is Lex Luger, did he sell out? The term sell out, right? That was, the Million Dollar Corporation was all about, and it gave a role for Ted DiBiase in the mid-90s, post-wrestling. Commentary did not work for him. The Million Dollar Corporation did. The idea that everybody has a price, right? Okay, well, we kind of saw that with the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, but now with the Million Dollar Corporation, now we know. Nikolai Volkov has a price. Kama Mustafa has a price. King Kong Bundy has a price. These guys all have a price, and they're all willing to work 
for the million dollar man. Did Lex Luger sell out? Made in the USA. He had us believing that he was all about the kids. He was all about helping. He was all about being a good guy. But Tatanka knew, Tatanka knew that Lex Luger had sold out only for us all to be swerved and to find out that the Native American hero Tatanka was the one who sold out after all. The Million Dollar Corporation gave us heel Tatanka right around 1995. Now, the Million Dollar Corporation did end up fizzling out. The last Million Dollar Champion, of course, this was after the Million Dollar Corporation had been disbanded, but was none other than Stone Cold Steve Austin as the ringmaster before Ted DiBiase would go on to WCW as the NWO. But I think the Million Dollar Corporation is forgotten a lot because of the new generation era, but deserves some credit. For me, the Million Dollar Corporation is number 10 on my list. Number nine, also not listed in the 10 best factions of all time. And that's because number nine is a faction that was uh, very big. Another heel faction, like the Million Dollar Corporation, but this time in early 90s WCW. Again, very dark period for WCW. A time when most people thought that this wasn't a serious organization. This wasn't an organization that was going to take on WWE. But there was one faction in this group that stood out. There was one faction in this group that if you look at the members now, you're going to be blown away by them. And that faction is the Dangerous Alliance. For me, the Dangerous Alliance is on my list. Number nine best factions of all time. The Dangerous Alliance. That included, of course, Paul Heyman, Paulie Dangerously. That was the first uh, faction that he really got to lead in the mainstream. You're talking about stunning Steve Austin, who would go on to become Stone Cold Steve Austin. You're talking about the living legend Larry Zbysko. Larry Zbysko. You're talking about beautiful Bobby Eaton. You're talking about future Hall of Famer Medusa, Alundra Blaze. You're talking about ravishing Rick Rude. Okay, this is a serious faction. Go back. One of the best War Games matches was from 1991, and it was the Dangerous Alliance versus Stinger Squadron. Now, Stinger Squadron, not a real faction. Just Sting and some other good guys coming together to try to stop this Dangerous Alliance. Oh, and Arn Anderson was in the Dangerous Alliance, too. The greatest spinebuster in the history of wrestling, Arn Anderson, was also in the Dangerous Alliance. How do you beat this team? You don't. Well, you can. There's eight factions that beat them. But you don't beat them past the point of being on this list. My number nine team, argue with me if you must, the Dangerous Alliance. They made it. First of all, every member of that team is worth talking about. No fluff. And they were a shining star in WCW. Well, what does WCW have? Well, they got Sting. They got the Dangerous Alliance. That's something. That's why they're on this list at number nine. Number eight was WWE's number nine. That's the Freebirds. I moved them up to one spot. WWE had them at nine. I had had them at eight. Of course, very, very influential team. You ask now, people still talk about them all the time. Their entrance influenced a lot of people. Terry Gordy, superstar of all time. Michael P.S. Hayes, still influential more than almost anybody else in the wrestling industry is one of the most creative people in the WWE today behind the scenes. Buddy Roberts and Jimmy Jam Garvin also in there. Of course, Buddy Roberts, 
did the, the, the gimmick that would eventually be used by Kurt Angle, that would eventually be used by CM Punk to some extent, which is disguising your head after the hair versus hair match, directly used by Kurt Angle with the headgear and the wig. Uh, but they dominated world class. World class, one of the most influential uh, television programs of territory era in terms of wrestling. And the Freebirds and the Von Erichs would go on to uh, uh, headline show after show after show after show for years. You know, so I think the Freebirds absolutely deserve a spot. They are my number eight faction, not number nine, like WWE says, my number eight faction of all time. Number seven faction, also not on the WWE's list. I looked at the WWE's list and I said, you know, there's a lot of factions that I like that are not on this list. The Brood, the Ministry of Darkness, the Corporation. What if... I could put them all on this list and only take one spot. The Brood, the Ministry of Darkness, and the Corporation. Don't forget who the higher power was. It was me, Austin. It was me all along. The Corporate Ministry is my number seven member on this list of 10 best factions of all time. And you might say that that's controversial, but think about it. You had the Corporation and the Ministry and the brood. You've got Edge in there. You've got Shamrock in there. You got the boss man in there. You got the Undertaker in there. You got Bradshaw and Farouk in there. You got Midian. You got everybody. Everybody. You know, Shane, Vince. To me, this is the ultimate uh heel unstoppable faction. Little big. But part of it is because of all the parts. So when I say the corporate ministry, I'm also including the ministry as a separate entity, the corporation as a separate entity, and the brood as a separate entity, all coming together to form the corporate ministry. The rock is in there. I mean, my God, I don't see how you can argue that the corporate ministry doesn't deserve to be on this list. They ran things for a period of time later in the Attitude Era. Corporate ministry on my list at number seven. Number six... WWE's number one team, The Shield. The Shield is my number six faction. Like I said earlier, Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, and Roman Reigns. Every member of The Shield would go on and will go on to main events. Every member of The Shield, a former WWE champion, after The Shield. Every, the Shield would break up, and all three members would go on to win the WWE championship. Unheard of. A, a faction so popular that you can take a guy getting booed throughout arenas, pair him with the other two, put on some flak jackets, and he gets cheered. That's Roman Reigns, member of the Shield. Um, the Shield absolutely des deserves to be on this list, but for me, not before number six. The Shield, my number six faction of all time. Number five faction is the WWE's number seven faction. My number five faction is the Hart Foundation. Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Jim the Anvil, Nightheart, the British Bulldog, and Brian Pillman. To me, this was the best work Bret Hart ever did. Best work Owen Hart ever did. Mm, I was probably not the best work the British Bulldog ever did. But close. Some of the best work the British Bulldog ever did. Might not beat his run in 92. Might not beat that match with Bret. But it could. It's up there with some of the best work the British Bulldog ever did. And great time for Brian Pillman and Jim the Anvil Nightheart as well. The Hart Foundation were the heel faction 
that ushered in the Attitude Era. For me, the Attitude Era begins right around, I'll say, summer of 97. Canadian Stampede is when it's officially here. But if you think about it, March of 97, WrestleMania, that's when Bret Hart officially turns heel in his match with Stone Cold Steve Austin. By May, I would say, that's when the Hart Foundation is starting to form into June. That's when the Attitude Era is starting. The Hart Foundation doesn't get enough credit. First of all, the Hart Foundation were there as Stone Cold Steve Austin's foil before Mr. McMahon was a character. The Hart Foundation was there as a foil to D-Generation X. The formation of D-Generation X happened in a response to the Hart Foundation. They were also, the, end, the, the Nation of Domination, the NOD, was a heel faction, but still went to war with the Hart Foundation because the Hart Foundation were even bigger heels. The Hart Foundation is the quintessential Attitude Era faction in terms of ushering in the Attitude Era. It doesn't happen without the Hart Foundation. They're very underrated as a faction, and that's why I put them at number five on my list of top ten factions. Number four is not on the WWE's list, and I can understand why it's not on the WWE's list, but it still deserves to be on the list. Number four is only one, one of only two current factions on this list, meaning still in play. The Shield being one of them, and this one. The Bullet Club. The Bullet Club is my number four faction of all time. And that's because the Bullet Club starts in New Japan with Devitt, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, Tama, and, and, and begins this very cool thing that's got everybody buzzing. Everybody buzzing about the Bullet Club, so much so that the WWE needs to hire Finn Balor, Luke Gallows, Carl Anderson. Then, AJ Styles comes in, takes over the Bullet Club. WWE needs to hire AJ Styles. Then, Kenny Omega comes in, takes over the Bullet Club. Kenny Omega becomes the number one. Right now in 2018, he's the number one on PWI 500. Arguably the best wrestler in the world. You know how else the Bullet Club includes? The Elite, Cody Rhodes, and the Young Bucks. Hangman Page, Marty Skrull. The minds behind All In, the show that we just watched. The Bullet Club. The number one act in Ring of Honor, to me, one of the main things that is making Ring of Honor as popular as they are is the Bullet Club. And the same thing can be said for New Japan in the United States. Would New Japan be as popular in the United States as they are without the Bullet Club? My answer to you is no. Not to say it wouldn't be popular, You've got Okada, you've got uh, you've got uh, 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 Los Ingobernables, you know, you've got you've you've got talent, but would New Japan be as popular in the United States without the Bullet Club? No way. The Bullet Club is the most influential faction in 2018. No argument. I don't see how you could possibly argue that in terms of factions. They are moving the needle like no other group is in wrestling. And they're doing it independently. That's what's so crazy about the Bullet Club. The Bullet Club has is the first faction to move beyond a promotion. The Bullet Club is not a New Japan entity anymore. The Bullet Club is not a Ring of Honor entity. 
The Bullet Club exists as its own entity. And quite frankly, to me, the Balor Club, Finn Balor, Luke Gallows, Carl Anderson, they are an extension, a WWE extension of the Bullet Club. The OGBC. Balor Club, maybe. It's another way of saying Bullet Club. Number four faction of all time right now is the Bullet Club. Number three, we're down to the top three. We talked about the quintessential Attitude Era faction. Well, the faction that brought the WWE back to prominence, the faction that uh, became culturally iconic, the faction that became a household name, the faction that changed slang, and the faction that still gets quoted by non-wrestling fans today with two words, and those words are suck it, it's D-Generation X. Number three faction of all time, all versions, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, China, Triple H, X-Pac, Road Dog, badass Billy Gunn. You could throw in the revamped version with Triple H and Shawn Michaels if you want, but it's not necessary. Even without the revamped version, D-Generation X, number three faction of all time, influential, important, brought wrestling to a different place, and influenced people like the Bullet Club, people like the Shield, people are still going around saying suck it okay still to this day why because of degeneration x the number two faction of all time is the faction that made wcw a real threat okay a lot of people say that the reason wcw became a threat to WWE's dominance was because they went head-to-head with Nitro. No, it's because they introduced this faction, the new world order. The NWO is the number two faction of all time. How do you beat them? How do they, you can't say that... I, I, I would not accept any argument, and this includes NWO, NWO Hollywood, NWO Wolfpack. I'm not putting NWO 2000 in there. I'm not putting the LWO. I'm not putting any of those side factions in. But that those three, the NWO original, NWO white and black, NWO red and black, those three groups make up the NWO and make up the number two faction of all time. People crap on the on the Wolfpack, but the Wolfpack was back causing mass destruction. Big Sexy was cool. Wolfpack Sting was cool. K-Dog was cool. Even Wolfpack Macho Man was a little bit cool. Then they came back together. Like, look, that was the end. Yes, I'm not... Most of the shine goes to the original formation of the NWO. And yes, it did, you know, end with a sputter. But that's not important. The NWO was able to return in the WWE. Didn't work. But not because the brand was dead. I don't think. I think it's because the brand wasn't presented properly. The NWO became cooler than the promotion that it was in. Very, very rare. People liked the NWO more than they liked WCW. At the end of the day, one of the downfalls of WCW, in my personal opinion. But still, the NWO is one of the biggest, most important, dominant factions of all time. Number two, the number one faction of all time, is the number two on this list, and that's the Four Horsemen. You can't beat the Four Horsemen. The Four Horsemen are the the blueprint that every wrestling faction is based on. That's Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Ole Anderson, J.J. Dillon. The original Four Horsemen. I will even accept Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Barry Windham, J.J. Dillon. Once you get past that, that's when things start to get shaky. You know, I don't think 
you need Sid Vicious. I don't think you need Sting, who was only in there for a cup of coffee. You know, once you get into like the new, the newer, you know, mid '90s versions where you've got Steve McMichael, you know, Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, Kurt Henning for a little bit, still, still room to talk. Jeff Jarrett, you know, still a lot of big names. But once the NWO showed up, the Four Horsemen were not taken as seriously as they once were. But it it, it made Ric Flair go from an 8 to a 10, in my opinion. The Four Horsemen took Ric Flair to a whole other level. It made Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard icons. It made Barry Windham even more famous. The Four Horsemen, the blueprint of every faction in wrestling, Deserve to be number one on this list, no doubt about it. So that's it. That's my list of the top 10 factions of all time. The Million Dollar Corporation, the Dangerous Alliance, the Freebirds, the Corporate Ministry, the Shield, the Heart Foundation, the Bullet Club, D-Generation X, the NWO, and the Four Horsemen. Hit me up. You can either send me a message uh, on Patreon at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling or uh, shoot me an email or a tweet or whatever and uh, let me know what you think of that list. Story number four. Oh, I'm all worn out. That was an entire state of wrestling just based on that one story. Story number four. Uh, let me get some water. Pentagon and Phoenix. Uh, Pentagon and Phoenix. Um, possibly coming to NXT. Earlier in the week, they said they weren't. It said, well, they're not accepting bookings into next year, making me think that they're going. Phoenix and Pentagon are saying they're not going. But I would imagine at some point Phoenix and Pentagon will come over, hopefully sooner than later. Um, if you ask me, I would—I don't know what they're doing with 205 Live. You know, as I said, I'm surprised Ricochet for 205 Live didn't end up over there. I like the idea of of 205 Live guys popping up on Raw. I think Drake—I think all of them. I think uh, 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 why am I drawing a blank? I, he's been on the podcast before. Um, um, I can't... Gulak. <laughs> I was totally drawing a blank. Drew Gulak showing up as part of the heels that beat up Roman Reigns a couple weeks... Or the Shield a couple weeks ago. Uh, Drake Maverick showing up as the manager to uh, the AOP. And this week, Leo Rush showing up as like... Uh, uh, Bobby Lashley's motivational speaker. I like the Leo Rush edition better than any of them but I like what they're doing with the 205 Live guys uh, I think Phoenix could be a, a good addition to 205 but if he's not going to be at 205 I would put Phoenix on NXT and I would honestly I would have Pentagon go directly to Smackdown and start a rivalry with uh, Andrade Almas right away I think Pentagon is ready to be a star he's got don't change his look don't change his name just put him right on TV right with Andrade and let's go right off to the races uh, so they're saying they're not going right now. I would imagine that they'll be there sooner than later. Story number three. Renee Young as head comment or 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 as permanent commentary on Monday Night Raw. I it makes me so happy to see Renee Young in that position. First of all, you can hear it in the commentary. This is a great team. And I'll tell you in real life, Renee, Cole. And Graves, at this moment, are all very happy to be with each other. They're all real-life friends. They all real-life like each other. They all real-life respect each other's abilities. They all want to be there, not only because they like each other, but because they respect each other and what they can bring to the table. Renee, Cole, and Graves all bring different things, 
all have very clear roles. Graves is going to be able to be what Graves always has been. Cole is going to be able to do the play-by-play. And Renee is going to bring that sort of pleasant disposition, likability to the show in a voice that we're not used to hearing on TV, but we should have it, quite frankly, on TV. Um, I, I, I think we're all going to get a treat. If you're paying attention closely, you're going to be able to watch Renee grow and learn and and blossom into the great color commentator that she's going to become right in front of you. You can already hear the difference between the first week and this week. Um, and and I, I think that, that is, she's, she's going to get better and better and better. But the fact that this is where we're starting at. Commentary is a completely different skill set, a completely different animal from hosting the kickoff shows and from doing backstage interviews. It's completely different. You know, you, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different skill set. It's like going from interviews to wrestling in a match, right? It, it is totally different. It, 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 it takes different training. It, it's, it's, it, it's, it's different is what I'm trying to say. So, you know, I, I, I think that the fact that Renee is starting at the level that she's starting at, and granted, this is not her first time doing commentary. Of course, she did two weeks of Raw previously. She did the May Young Classic. And uh, uh, before this, she had done commentary on Superstars and on NXT TV, but that had been years ago. Years ago. And who knows? I don't know how much training she got for those and how much of it was just like, I'm jumping in. It's clear to me, watching the May Young Classic and listening to her on Raw, that she has spent a considerable amount of time with Michael Cole and Corey Graves and that she is actively, and Renee Young is a crazy hard worker. Every kickoff show that I've ever done with her, she's written all of her own stuff. This isn't somebody else writing her script for her. She has come in and is not making it up off the top of her head. She's got her computer open before the show and she's got all her verbiage all written out, like she, and I, and I don't mean like the conversations, because obviously those are off the cuff, but the fact that she's able, you can always count on Renee. She's, you've never seen her get lost in conversation on one of those kickoff shows, ever. You've never seen her have something get thrown at her, and she goes, ever. She knows the product like the back of her hand. She's actually a fan of the product. She enjoys talking about wrestling, and you can tell, and it comes across, and she's willing to do the work and still willing to do the work. She hasn't gotten this big head because she's really, really good at doing what she's doing. She's still willing to do the work and it's just going to continuously get better. It also is this like moment beyond wrestling. It's the same way I felt when I saw Charlemagne the God uh, do this interview with Kanye West. And I sent him an email and told him uh, how cool it was to see him doing that interview Mainly because I got this feeling of people from our generation taking the seat, right? People from our generation no longer waiting to be like, one day, today's the day. And Renee Young represents the new generation, our generation, stepping forward and being like, no, we're not kids, you know? We're here to take the seat. We're here to grab the spot now. We're ready for it. And Renee Young is jumping in with both feet. And she's grabbing the spot, and she's ready for it, and she's proving it, and she's going to continue to prove it. Very bummed that she won't be on the kickoff shows anymore. I loved doing those kickoff shows with her, and, uh, and, and I hate that she won't be on them. I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of fun with Coach, who's now doing the kickoff shows, and of course uh, still doing the NXT shows uh, uh, with uh, Charlie and Pat McAfee. So 
those are still going to be great. And, uh, and, and it's all good news, I think, for everybody. But yeah, Renee Young is in the spot that she should be in. And I have a good feeling that the Raw commentary team is going to get really, really good and just get better and better and better. And I think that this will also bring out the best of Michael Cole. I don't think Michael Cole gets enough credit, respect, just desserts. Michael Cole is amazing at what he does. Not just in on camera, because he is amazing at what he does on commentary, but behind the scenes, he's out of this world good. And that's clear from, from the entire product. So uh, such congratulations to Renee Young. She's doing an amazing job, and uh, I think she's going to continue to do an amazing job. And I love seeing her get to be part of this uh, revolution. It's a big deal. It's history. And Renee Young's making it happen. Story number two, speaking of making it happen, I'm watching Raw this week, and I see this guy coming down the aisle looking young and spry, moving like I haven't seen him move in years, jumping up on the apron to get into the ring and delivering a promo that is on the level of anything that he did in the Attitude Era. Story number two is the amazing performance on Raw that we got from Mick Foley this week. Mick Foley going to Hell in a Cell to be the special guest referee between uh, 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 Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman. Now, on paper, it's kind of like, why? I get that he was in the Hell in a Cell, but he's been away from the product and has nothing to do with this story. And while all that's true, he made me a believer. He made me a believer as I watched Raw. I was like, whoa, Mick Foley is back. I don't know what he had done surgically, but... He is moving like I haven't seen him moved in years. And the promo that he delivered was outstanding. The promo that he delivered made me a believer. The promo that he delivered made me a believer in the fact that he will be a good addition to the Hell in a Cell match between Braun and Roman at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. So, you know, I don't know what else to say about Mick Foley, but just it was as good as I've seen him in years. And it was so great to see him back performing at that level and moving at that level, quite frankly. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, I think this means Mick Foley is pretty far from done. I think we're going to be seeing quite a bit more of Mick Foley after the performance that we saw on Raw. And if that's the Mick Foley that we're getting, it's going to be very, very welcome. By the way, I tweeted out a thing about how great Mick Foley was. And then after that, I wrote Foley is good. Some people... And they were not joking. There were a couple people that were joking, I'm sure. But some people were not joking. And they said, don't you mean God? Uh, Sam, extra O in there. Are you crazy? Extra O? Mick Foley, when Foley is God was a thing, when all those signs were being held up and everything, Mick came out and said, I'm not God, but throw in an extra O. And I am good. And they made a t-shirt that said Foley is good with the extra O pointed up above the above the God. And it said God had obviously been turned into good. And he wrote a book called Foley is good. I met Foley is good. It was a thing. What are you cheering for Mick Foley now? And you don't even remember the Foley is good era? Get the hell out of here. What the heck are you talking about? We got the old Mick Foley back, folks. And it makes me very, very excited. Speaking of Hell in a Cell, number one story of the week is the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view coming up this weekend. Um, I don't know. If you think for the folks on Patreon, for the Not Sam Shills, 
at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Sign up to be a Not Sam Shell if you haven't already. You'll get the podcast early and ad-free. You'll get at least two bonus shows uh, a month. You're going to get uh, all of the, of the f- previous captive audience uh, shows that were released. And that's just for the, for the first tier. We also have available the uh, interview videos uh, from the podcast coming out the same day the podcast comes out. The exclusive video for the State of Wrestling. We've got uh, a bonus Q&A every month. We've got a bonus pre- live video pre-show that's interactive every month. We've got uh, merchandise. We've got bonus videos. There's a video right now on Patreon for the Superstar and Hall of Fame level, uh, not Sam Shells of Joey Janela training my dog. I'm going to go off to the Performance Center this week. There's going to be video from the Performance Center that's only going to be available there. Patreon.com slash NotSamWrestling. A lot of fun stuff. But if you want this weekend some kind of a Hell in a Cell bonus show, pre or post show, we'll see. You let me know. You know, Hit me up in the Discord room. And by the way, if you already are not Sam Shill, get into that Discord room because it is really fun. It's a great community of people talking about, you know, way more than just not Sam wrestling. They're talking about WWE. They're talking about what's going on in their lives. It's an amazing, amazing thing that we're creating with the Not Sam Shells at patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. Hell in a Cell has been an interesting build, I really think. And if you go over the matches, I mean, eh, it might be a little bit more SmackDown heavy than Raw heavy, but not that much. Aside from this week on Raw... This has really been a show that has been promoted on SmackDown more so than anywhere else. Raw has been promoting Evolution. Raw has been promoting Super Showdown in Australia very heavily. While SmackDown has been taking the lion's share of promoting Hell in a Cell. Although Raw did promote Hell in a Cell pretty heavily in the go-home show this week still. It'll be interesting to see because I think the feeling that a lot of people have is that it's not that big of a show because it hasn't been promoted as big as some shows have been. But the card is pretty good. Let's go over the card. Uh, we found out uh, this week, Raw Tag Team Championship is on the line. Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre versus The Shield. I would have Dolph and Drew win the match, keep the championship, because I'm going to save that championship for Finn Balor and Braun Strowman after Hell in a Cell. Um, but there's going to be, you know, some chicanery. But I think if uh, Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins lose then we can start to build this idea that maybe it's not the Shields' night and it would draw Roman and his ability to beat Braun Strowman a little bit more into question if Seth and Dean lose. So I would keep the titles for now on Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre. We've got uh, the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. New Day versus a team that's going to be announced on SmackDown. We're recording State of Wrestling this week before SmackDown because I'm traveling on Wednesday. Uh, But I personally hope that the bar wins on SmackDown and wins the Tag Team Championship. Uh, I think that it's time for The Bar to have a nice tag title run on SmackDown. They're a great team and can be a great asset to SmackDown if used properly. Uh, We go into a mixed tag team match. It's Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella versus The Miz and Maurice. I think that The Miz and Maurice should win this match. Um, Little interference from Maurice, but I think The Miz should get another pinfall victory over Daniel Bryan. I don't think Daniel Bryan should be able to beat The Miz. I think we're going to get... I think it's already been announced. I believe it has. That there's another Miz-Daniel Bryan match at Super Showdown. Unless I'm wrong. There might not be. Maybe I'm making it up. But I think that that's been announced. I think every... I, I, I think that that should be the last time that these two guys touch. I think that after, after this match, The Miz wins. 
Super Showdown, The Miz wins. The Miz says, enough. Brian, you got to move on to something else. Brian can maybe move on to Samoa Joe, who will not be the champion because The Miz goes after AJ Styles and at Survivor Series or at the December pay-per-view beats AJ Styles for the WWE Championship. I think that The Miz should beat AJ Styles for the championship at Survivor Series. He should beat him again in a rematch at the December pay-per-view and then move on at the Royal Rumble. But yes, I think that... uh, Or we could do some Nakamura-Daniel Bryan matches leading after this Miz stuff is over, which would be very, very exciting. But I think then we do what we talked about doing. The Miz needs to beat Daniel Bryan every time, win the WWE Championship in November. Hold the WWE Championship until WrestleMania, where Daniel Bryan, for the first time since Superstar Showdown, Super Showdown, whatever it's called, first time since October. October, no more Daniel Bryan Miz matches. November, December, January, February, March. Five months later, he goes to WrestleMania to challenge The Miz for the WWE Championship. The Miz says, you've had your shots. You can't beat me. Daniel Bryan gets one more chance to try to beat him. That's your story going into WrestleMania 35 for me. Uh, Which leads me to the WWE Championship match between AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. This is it? No, they're doing one more at Super Showdown. But still, after Super Super Showdown, we got to move on. Uh, I think AJ gets the clean, clean win here. AJ gets a clean win. Uh, we move on to Hell in a Cell matches. We've got Jeff Hardy and Randy Orton in a Hell in a Cell. It's weird that this one's in a Hell in a Cell. I can only predict that Jeff Hardy may be starting to get ready to retire. You know, maybe Jeff Hardy doesn't have too much left in the tank and figures before he retires he's going to do this Hell in a Cell. I think we're going to see a Jeff Hardy leap off the cage. You know, we've been, we watched Mick Foley get thrown off the cage over and over and over again. Clearly, they're a little bit more open to those leaps. We saw Kevin Owens take a bump off the cage. We saw Shane McMahon take a leap off the cage. I think Jeff Hardy's going to swanton bomb off the Hell in a Cell at this pay-per-view. And it's going to be incredible at this point in his life that he's doing that. Incredible. Women's championship matches. Uh, First, you've got uh, Ronda Rousey champion versus Alexa Bliss. Um... I wouldn't hate it if Alexa Bliss won. I think Ronda Rousey will probably win, but I wouldn't hate it if Alexa Bliss gave Ronda Rousey her first defeat. We saw Ronda Rousey um, take some uh, take take a bit of a beating on Raw from Mickey James. I wouldn't hate it if Alexa Bliss won, but I think Ronda Rousey will probably win. Charlotte Flair versus Becky Lynch, as I said earlier in the show in the bridge segment. Go back and listen to that if you didn't. Um, I would have Peyton Royce interfere in this match. And have, I would have Peyton Royce interfere in this match in Charlotte's favor and have Becky lose because Peyton Royce interfered. Peyton Royce will cost Becky Lynch this match if it's up to me. Then we move on. Well, I told you, go to the bridge segment and uh, I'll clear it all up for you. And then, of course, the main event, special guest, referee, Mick Foley, Braun Strowman cashes in his Money in the Bank briefcase contract. Just a Money in the Bank contract. It's in a briefcase. Hell in a Cell, Roman Reigns versus Braun Strowman. We're going to see some destruction of this cell. It's going to be a hard-fought match. We're going to think that Roman doesn't have anything left in him. Roman is going to close the show with the Heroes win. I think so. We're going to see Dolph Ziggler and uh, 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 Drew McIntyre interfere. It's not going to do Braun Strowman a lick of good. I want him to then next night on Raw say, I don't need you guys anymore, and they jump him, and that starts that. 
You can go into the bridge segment for more details on both the Braun idea and the Charlotte idea. But that's what I've got going on. That's what I think about Hell in a Cell. Let me know on Patreon if you want a Hell in a Cell bonus show. And uh, we will see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the State of Wrestling, to Not Sam Wrestling. We'll see you next week right here on Not Sam Wrestling. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com/safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.